G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Winger Podcast. So, Cam's out and Will's in. So we got featuring Forks joining us today. Um, obviously, we're going to be going through some of the hottest topics in the AFL at the moment. And it's going to be just great to have someone alongside me, uh, someone I've wanted to do with a, a podcast with for a very long time uh, and someone who's just been absolutely smashing it in the uh, social media and podcasting uh, bubble at the moment as well. He's, he's come off an interview uh, for his first podcast with Todd Murphy, uh, Australian spinner um and then also he's just been absolutely smashing it some call him the king of canva uh he's been smashing it smashing <laughs> it on the instagram uh and he's been fantastic so welcome in will dogger thanks mate for having me um like you said i think we've both been looking to record with each other for a fair while so i'm glad it's popped up um yeah what a time of year it is for sport at the moment it's uh it's unreal i don't know what to watch sometimes but um yeah keen to talk all things with you with you here today yeah there's there's so much to go through so much sport we could talk about. We could honestly talk about it all day, but if we can sort of keep it below eight hours, that'd be pretty good. So uh, we'll see how we go. Might require a little bit of editing with that one. Yeah, yeah, seven, uh, seven hours and 59 minutes sounds good. That's what I heard. <laughs> awesome, mate. So, um, yeah, we just wanted to talk a little bit about yourself, mate, before we get into anything, just so the viewers and listeners uh, can get a bit of an idea about you and what you're all about. So um, what are you sort of doing for work at the moment and what's happening in your world? Yeah, um, I've sort of been someone who's uh, always wanted to sort of be in the media industry, specifically the sports side of it, the last three or four years. And I was lucky enough for an opportunity to pop up with Channel 9, Wild World of Sports, uh, and also 9 now, their streaming service. Uh, I've been working with them throughout the Ashes. So as of, you know, date of recording today, I've done uh, two Ashes test, men's Ashes test matches, women's Ashes test match, and then two of their T20s as well. One of them finished this morning. So it's been a very busy last few weeks, but I'm really enjoying it. It's a great skill set to sort of familiarise yourself with. Uh, I guess it comes under the role of sort of digital producing. That's my official title at the moment. But um, yeah, the Channel 9 team have just been so welcoming. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really good uh, experience to just step into the industry. They're very professional about it there at Channel 9. So very grateful. Yeah, 100%. I think you'd, you'd gain so much experience being around some of the best people in the industry right there uh, and one of the leading channels, obviously, in Australia at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an interesting one. They're obviously lost the cricket rights uh, in the summer, probably, oh, I don't know, maybe four, five, oh, be less, three or four years ago, um, but they still have the rights for the international cricket. So this is something that I guess uh, I think, you know, an element of luck for someone like me who obviously loves their cricket and wants to get involved with something like this, that Channel 9 still have the opportunity to present something like that. Um, they've also got the Cricket World Cup coming up later this year, the Olympics next year, they, the Australian Open, all the tennis tournaments, Wimbledon's on at the moment, um, the NRL. Like, they've got so much going on. So uh, I think for cricket to be there is great. I can sort of start with something that I'm very familiar with and enjoy and, you know, who knows what opportunities pop up in the future. But right now I'm just, yeah, enjoying uh, watching the Ashes, seeing Australia smash the pumps. Yeah, it's pretty unreal to sort of do something you love, uh, watching the cricket and obviously keeping up with the cricket and, and get paid for it as well. So it's a bit of a dream in itself, I'm sure, for you. And yeah. uh, it's it's probably awesome watching watching Australia go up 2-0 and hopefully we'll be able to uh, just wash them out. That'd be pretty good. But we'll see yeah. how we go with that. Yeah. Plenty more cheating to come. But uh, <laughs> no, we won't, get, we won't get into that right Stanley now. Stay in the Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> that's a podcast for, for, for another time. So... Um, but obviously you're really into your cricket, uh, grew up playing a lot of cricket and you're playing for St Kilda at the moment as well? Yeah, yeah, I'm over at St Kilda at the moment. This will be my third season this year. Um, probably playing a lower level than what I was back in Adelaide, but 
it's all it's all like a very strong culture. I used to play at Sturt over in SA, um, two really good clubs, and again, very fortunate um, to to be playing there. Um, it's not some people don't have the luxury to sort of you know give up their Saturdays. Um, and you know, while I'm young, I'm going to still try and do it. Uh, we won a flag last year. Was lucky enough to captain that. Um, just yeah, really really enjoying it, and a lot of good mates around there. So uh, moving to Melbourne, it was. You know, it's never easy um, just, you know, meeting people. But I think a career club is a really good way to start, as it is with most sporting clubs. So that's something I've really enjoyed. Yeah, 100%. Obviously, making the move over to Melbourne uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a pretty interesting time to make the move, to be fair, with everything <laughs> yeah, that was that. going on, everything that happens. So, uh, but you moved over there largely for uni, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Just I think trying to sort of assert myself in the media industry, and I knew that that wasn't something that was going to happen straight away. Like I've been here for nearly two and a half years, and um, I've had fleeting times with a few um, media counterparts. But obviously, I'm with Channel Nine at the moment. But um, you know, it, just getting as, mu- as much experience as you can. Uh, I'm someone who sort of runs like, as you know, like a, a big public portfolio. Well, not a big public portfolio, but I've got um, you know, platforms where I just sort of put all my experience and work into. Um, and yeah, that's sort of something that I've really grinded away at the last, you know, probably two years. And, um, yeah, I guess sort of now it's a, a change of pathway, um, you know, sort of stepping into the, the full-time media industry for the first time. So it's very exciting. Yeah, very, very exciting times for you. And I think you're building quite the portfolio as well. So everyone listening, make sure if you haven't already, go and check out Featuring Forks on Instagram. Uh, post great gear about the footy, about the cricket, uh, and about all, all sorts of sports. You, you're into pretty much everything at the moment as well, aren't you, mate? Yeah, as much as I can. It's, uh, it's certainly taking a bit of a backseat, um, unfortunately, just with all the Ashes stuff at the moment. Um, you know, they, they can be quite long nights sometimes. But um, I haven't watched as much footage as I would like, Matt, which is why I'm very keen to hear mm-hmm. what you've got to say this episode. Uh, keep me in the loop. But, no, it's, um, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, yeah, I don't really have much else to add, but it's, it's very exciting. And, yeah, hopefully keep doing featuring forks as much as I can uh, during the busy time of the year, cover as much as I can. Definitely, mate. But don't worry about the footy side of it. That's where I am. I'm always the person on the podcast with the most footy knowledge. Yeah, so you're the man. It yeah. doesn't really matter, mate. I'm used to it anyway. So, <laughs> uh, Cam, if you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. But um, obviously, you're really into your footy as well, mate. Uh, who's your team? And, and tell us a little bit about your footy journey. Yeah, I'm a Crows man um, through and through. I'm someone who, you know, sort of I like to think I appreciate uh, the footy uh, sort of as much as what I do the team. So I wouldn't say I'm a diehard. Um, oh, I'm certainly not a one-eyed fan. Um, you know, love watching the Crows play, but uh, I can certainly appreciate their good games. You know, we obviously I went to the game over here in Melbourne, lost to Collingwood a couple of weeks ago by a point, uh, which you know, for two points, um, you know, which is really hard. But at the same time, like appreciating a good game of footy, so um, I, I, they've sort of exceeded my expectations this year. I think they're sort of sticking to a game plan that they've sort of been knocking away at and gelling with the last couple of years under Matthew Nix, and now it's starting to probably pay dividends. And their investment in youth is really starting to come about. I think they're a very exciting team, and. I think at this stage we should make finals, touch wood. Um, but, yeah, an exciting team and I'm sort of, yeah, a Crows man but also like my footy just as much as the next person. Yeah, it's been unfortunate for you at the moment though with being over in Melbourne. Obviously, you don't get to see as many Crows games as you like and you're probably, being in Melbourne, you probably won't see a Crows win for the rest of the year because they can't seem to win outside of their own postcodes. So, no. Uh, but no. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> no, this Sunday no. against the Dons, but we'll see. I'll be on to that as well. But, yeah, we'll see. So, uh, I, I think you're right, Matt. Like, it's something they've got to uh, 
something they've got to get rid of. I think with uh, 15 minutes to go in the last quarter against Collingwood, I thought they might run away with it. But, uh, yeah, Collingwood's just too good and see if we can break that streak over uh, interstate. Yeah, definitely something that's going to come with experience and obviously just development with maturity in the side. It's quite a young side. Uh, a lot of players who are only in their first, second or third year. So um, they're the players that are sort of taking the charge at the moment and being the real electricity for the club. How have um, you seen see that? if they can sort of mature. What's that? Have you seen the Crows this year as a Melbourne fan? Uh, I think I'm personally, I'm pretty good at taking a lot of bias out of it. Um, so I don't, I don't really see it as a Melbourne fan or anything like that, but just saying as, as a general fan and a unbiased spectator, if you will, uh, I think they're a fantastic sort of outfit that's going to be really, really difficult to play if they do make finals. Mm. Um, but I'm just really worried about them sort of playing outside, as I said, of Adelaide, all jokes aside, I think they've just really struggled with the big lights of the MCG and, uh, wherever else they might be playing. I think. When the crowd's on their side, it fills them with a lot of confidence, as it would with a young team. Uh, but obviously, when a crowd, like, like a Collingwood crowd, you've got 60,000, 70,000 um, members at the MCG cheering against you and wanting nothing but your sort of misery and despair, it's it's really something that's, that weighs a lot on, on a young player, like 18, 19, 20 years old. So I think it's something they're really, really struggling with at the moment. But honestly, I can't really knock them for that because they've been amazing this year. That The pressure they've brought to the game, uh, their ability... Some of the players are honestly uh, the most talented players in the league. Someone like a Rochelle or, or a Rankin uh, have just been absolutely tearing shreds out of a lot of teams this year. So I think the big watch for them uh, is if they can win the first quarters. Um, I think they've won most games this year when they've won the first, first quarter and got that confidence about them, especially a player like a Rankin who can really take over a game. But you'll rarely see him get sort of less than two or three touches in the first quarter and then dominate a game. It's more when he's getting those five-plus touches and maybe a goal to start his game, it really fills him with that confidence uh, yeah. and makes the rest of his game 10 times easier. So I think if you can sort of shut them down for the first quarter, it will largely uh, hinder their game plan and hinder their confidence going into the rest of it. But that's just something that comes with sort of growth and development as well. So, nah, Well said. Yeah. I, I don't have anything to add there. I think you've uh, hit the nail on the head. I agree. I think it's just a tone setting for a lot of them in the first quarter. It's probably like a, uh, a quote or something to uh, go by uh, with what you said in terms of their performance at the start of games. But, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, 100%. And uh, so what's coming up with you for Featuring Forks and the Featuring Podcast as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Matt. Uh, as I said, it's featuring Forks itself has probably taken a little bit of a back burner. I'm still posting when I can uh, on the platform. Instagram is the main platform that I post on, but um, Twitter probably from my own personal account. It's a bit of a it's an interesting one just trying to work out the dynamic as to what you post from. Uh, at what point yeah. you probably have to sort of you know take it from a public portfolio to you know taking it to your own work, whether that's on your own Instagram, your own personal Twitter. So sort of mix and match between that, uh, and then the podcast. Yeah, it was something I was really really keen on and still am, but that's something that does take a lot more time. Um, it's probably not as simple as you know taking half hour, an hour, even two hours to post a graphic. Um, you you got to set aside a time with people for several hours and then uh, after that, you know, editing. Uh, I'm someone who, as you can tell, I have a lot of filler words filler words sometimes when I speak. So making sure you edit it uh, correctly for mine and, um, yeah, just time's aligning. And I'm also living on UK time at the moment. So uh, as you know, I woke up about half an hour ago after going to bed at about 10 a.m. So um, it's, yeah, times aren't aligning at the moment in terms of uh, podcasts, but there should be couple coming out in the next month or so so it's a very temporary um you know pause on it but yeah really really excited with it had a, a good mate of mine todd murphy come on uh probably about six or seven weeks ago he was probably the first proper guest that i had and 
speaks very, very well, a humble man, and it's probably fitting that we're talking about him now with him getting his baptism of fire and the Ashes starting tonight. Uh, I'm just so excited for him. Can't wait to see how – I know how he's going to go. He's, he's a very, very humble man who's worked very hard to get there, but uh, it's a different atmosphere, I think, in the Ashes, definitely given the uh, circumstances after the first two tests. So very keen to see how he goes. Yeah, 100%. I think he's been performing amazingly uh, when he has been playing, especially uh, over in India as well. He was really, really impressive uh, for such a young player. And, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to the podcast yet when you had him on and you, you hit the nail on the head as well. It's just he's, it's amazing how humble he is and how he shows so much humility, even though when he's one of the best sort of spinners in the in the country. You could even say the second best spinner in the country. Uh, and he just sort of speaks to so much humility and, and just talks about hard work and uh, that's how he got there. So uh, pretty amazing to hear from him as well. So uh, can you hint at any of the guests you might have coming up on the pods? Uh, I won't blow the uh, won't blow the name out, but uh, I've got, like, got, got a dog, uh, one of the Western Bulldogs boys, one of the St Kilda boys, a uh, couple of cricketers. Oh, yeah. sort of, um, trying to just – it's an interesting one. Like you don't want to have – you know, several people from the same sort of line of work. Like you don't want to go cricketer, 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 cricketer. You don't want to go footy yep. player, footy player, same club. Sort of just trying to mix it up and I guess, um, you know, make yourself desirable to all sorts of audiences. But, yeah, there's there's a few. Um, as I said, probably not one for the next week or two, but um, after that we'll uh, sort of kick in. Good time with footy players heading into finals uh, and then obviously after that cricket season starts. So, um, yeah, diver as well. Sam Frick is someone that I'm also sort of – uh, trying to get back on, um, obviously, an Olympic yep. diver. He's someone that I've sort of interviewed before with the featuring Forks brand. Uh, really, really nice guy. Again, just like Murph, very humble, uh, as a lot of the people are um, that I am have spoken to and plan to speak to. But, um, yeah, he's probably someone that I can put out there, having, you know, previously done stuff with him before. Um, also, uh, Thomas Kelly, I guess, as well. Uh, another good mate of mine. From the Redbacks, um, yeah, probably, yeah, you would have seen a few of the people that I've spoken to from my featuring Forks outlet, but um, yeah, yep. a few new ones as well, which is good. That's exciting. Plenty of exciting things to come, and I'm pretty keen to see uh, some of the, the St. Kilda and the Western Bulldogs interviews as well. It should be really, really good. So uh, I'll be on the edge of my seat for that. Don't you worry. Thank you, but, Matt. Um, no, so we may as well get into it. Uh, obviously, it's a really exciting time in footy right now, as you are saying there, uh, coming into the final series that, the top eight's really shaping up. And this year, similar to last year as well, there's genuine sort of 13, 14 teams that could even be making it uh, come the end of the season with some big pushes and and some really favourable draws. Like you look at a team like Geelong who are looking down and out, and now they've got six of their last eight games uh, at GMHBA as well. So really, really big time for them and a big time to push. Um, obviously, I think a lot of time when they're down at GMHBA, they're a very, very difficult side to beat mm. uh, due, due to the dimensions of the ground mainly, which I think is a bit of cheating, but we won't get into <laughs> that now. Um, but, no, it's, it's a very exciting time. And, obviously, what comes with this as well is some of the big stories and some of the big stories around coaching. Uh, we've already seen some some massive uh, stories around coaching this year. Obviously, Damien Hardwick uh, was a bit of a shock for everyone uh, after that was leaked, and then he obviously uh, retired the next day. Uh, and you look at someone like an Adam Simpson as well, even. I'm, I'm sort of sitting waiting to see what he's going to do. I think he he's rumoured to take a leave of absence or the club has sort of asked him to. Uh, but whether he'll do that or not, I'm not too sure. But Caroline Wilson uh, the other day dropped a, one of the biggest stories of the year mm. uh, and I thought Kane Corns did a fantastic job in uh, sort of uh, teasing that one. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter, yeah, uh, I did yeah, see that. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, teased that one by saying uh, Caroline Wilson's about to drop one of the biggest stories of the year. Uh, and that she did. So obviously she was speaking about Stuart Jew 
who uh, is obviously the coach of the Gold Coast Suns at the moment. Uh, and I say at the moment because apparently within the next month, it's looking like he could be on the way out. And uh, currently there's one man who's who's waiting to um, fill that position, and that might be Damien Hardwick. But what are your thoughts on the, the Stuart Jew situation at the moment? I think it's a very fascinating one, Matt. Obviously, it's one that's come out very recently. I still, still think there's a little bit to unfold the next few days. I think how Gold Coast go this weekend which, you know, I don't agree with, but I think how they go this weekend might dictate just, you know, how much that chat pops up for the next fortnight, three weeks, four weeks. I think Stuart Jew has the backing of CEO Mark Evans. So I saw Mark Evans speak at the press conference yesterday uh, at the date of recording, and he was very adamant in that the fact that Stuart Jew would be coaching next year. And I think it was a very loyal speech of him. And I didn't doubt for a second that that was the way that he thinks things are. Now, Obviously, if you're underperforming, which the Gold Coast Suns are probably really playing with that line right now, there's sort of a bit of a trap that we seem to be falling into every year where the middle part of the season or the this, this first part of the season, they start playing really well. They go through a bit of a patch. There's a little bit of media scrutiny. They then come good again for another three or four weeks. And then it's just, it's a bit of a rinse, repeat sort of cycle. Um, yeah. Specifically, I, I think Jude's going to be there next year. Mark Evans, unless something goes diabolically wrong the back end of this year. Um, I, the reason I say that is I think Dim is the only person on the market at the moment from a coaching standpoint that would take Stuart Ju- that could take Stuart Ju's job. I don't think there's too much out there, uh, which I think similar vein to why Adam Simpson, uh, I think, is probably going to be coaching there next year. Um, I, I think they're both safe. I wouldn't say safe. Sorry, I'll take that back. I think they're both right now the coach of their respective clubs next year. Um, I think something's going to go diabolically wrong for Stuart Jew. I don't, when he first took over, a lot of people talk about how he's been at the club for six years. And don't get me wrong, that's a long time to not be making finals, but uh, yeah, I think five or six years. Um, but at the same time, like when he took over, the place was an absolute mess. I, I really don't mm. count personally the first couple of years. I think you could throw anyone in there. Alistair Clarkson, Dimmer, none of them are going to be pushing them towards finals at that point in time. And now, He's really starting to reap the rewards uh, in, you know, whilst in small bursts of the loyalty of some of the players. We've seen Jack Lacosha sign on, um, Ben King as well, um, staying up there. I think there's really something that's starting there. And I know we've said that a few times. I just think we've said that a few times wrongly. And this is the first time I think with confidence I can say there is something bubbling away there. Um, You know, the rise of guys like Charlie Ballard, um, who I know you – no, Matt, I think he's just been exceptional um, this year. I think he's really toying with all Australian. Um, they're starting to have a few key players that are, which you need. You need you need the key guys stepping up, and I think they are. Lacocious has been awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think with the backing of his playing group, who I think are loyal to Stuart Jew in return, um, I think when you have a, a coach who bonds well with their players and there's talent there, I can't see why they wouldn't be pushing for finals next year. And I think I can say that, as I said, confidently for the first time, probably ever about the Suns. I think they've probably been over overestimated the last few years. How do you say it? Yeah, I think I think you're completely right in terms of them being a little bit overestimated and we've always said, oh, they've got the group now, that they're, they're ready to go for finals. But I just think it's more of a people are just a little bit impatient with wanting them to make finals and expecting them to make finals every year when they might just not be ready and they might not be ready to make that push. So, mm. um, But th- this is one of sort of... I've been, always been a little bit confused by Stewie Jew and uh, his position. Uh, we've spoken about it multiple times on the podcast, uh, as you may know as well, but mm. we always talk about how Stewie Jew has the safest seat in the country. And I've never really understood why it's, there's always the coaching merry-go-round and there's 
always talk about coaches that are on the hot seat and some coaches that are they're really in the firing line. And I feel like Stuart Jew sort of just avoids that conversation in, in a really incredible manner. Uh, I don't see a lot of people going after him in the media, uh, talking about how the team's underperforming, like for long stretches anyway. Um, there, there was sort of spurts the last couple of years, but I don't see it very often, which I think is quite incredible. But I think it sort of speaks to the um, the patience everyone's given him. And I think he's really come through this year and been quite fantastic, to be honest. With the the spine he's built mainly, as you were talking about, uh, Charlie Ballard has been fantastic this year. Matt Rowell is back to some of his best. Noah Anderson has become one of the best midfielders in the competition as well. And obviously Ben King up forward and, and the coaches up forward as well have been a really, really good uh, one-two punch this year. So I think they are building something there. I, I think it's awesome, but I think where there's, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. And with Caroline Wilson dropping this, and it seemed like she was quite definitive about how she dropped it. Uh, I think it, it might be Stuart Jew's time's up, to be honest. So are you saying... Who do you think replaces him? So if you think he's not coaching at the end of this year, do you think it's Dimmer or is there someone else you think they've got lined up? Is it as simple as just removing him or is it, you know, they're wanting to remove him? There's a new guy in the firing line that they want to sort of bring in. How, how do you see that? that? That's probably, I think, what sort of uh, aids how I see it or that sort of um, sort of pushes me in the direction to see it how I see it is I just don't know yeah. if Dimmer's going to be coaching and if Dimmer's not coaching, who is there out there that's better than Stuart Jew who already has the loyalty and the backing of his players, which I think is a big thing for coaches to have. Um, so if there's someone out there other than um, – like, is, is it Dimmer for you? Yeah, for me, it's not Dimmer or Bust, but I feel like um, with what's going on in Port Adelaide at the moment with uh, obviously Ken Hinckley and then putting the contract conversations off – uh, until August, that that just rang alarm bells straight away for me because okay. I think they came out at the start of the season to try and like uh, quieten the noise around his contract and say, oh yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it in August, um, and then expected it to sort of all go away just because everyone was like, oh, they're talking about it in August, it'll be fine, which somehow has worked relatively <laughs> well, quite remarkably. Yeah. Um, it's like imagine if you were sort of on the edge of your job and someone goes, we'll talk about it in two weeks. Just hang on for two weeks and we'll talk about it then. You'd yeah. be quite worried. For those two weeks, you'd be quite worried. Um, so I feel like it's extraordinary what they've been able to done uh, do so far with limiting that uh, as much as possible. But I think if you're not going to res- resign Hinkley straight away or, or make a decision straight away on it, it's not really something that bodes well for Hinkley in his future, I don't think, because um, okay. I feel I feel like they're quite reluctant to choose him. So, obviously, he's got his ties to the Gold Coast Suns at the moment, yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like he could definitely be a suitor. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think he would be a suitor. I think Port Adelaide would be crazy to not re-sign Ken Hinkley. I'm a very Agreed. big Ken Hinkley supporter. I know we, we talk about Lord with Stuart Jew. He's that. Um, just as much, if not more, with his playing group. He has the full backing of his playing group. And I think it was definitely coming to a crossroads last year. And I think well, he was obviously told, you know, you've got one more year on your contract. This is it. And it, the recruiting yeah. that he did in the offseason, I thought was brilliant. The guys that he's building in his team, they're not just uh, names. Like he's, he's got role players. And I think a lot of successful clubs have role players. It's not just your best 22 playing out of each position. And I think... Port Adelaide had done that really well, and a lot of thanks goes to Ken Hinckley. And obviously the rise of guys like Butters, Rosie, like several other guys I could name in that Port team. But, yeah, I think Ken Hinckley would be crazy. To, uh, sorry, Port would not be would be crazy to not have Ken Hinckley next year. If he isn't, 
I can absolutely see your theory and thinking behind him going to Gold Coast. And I think that would also be a justifiable move for him. It's a little bit more lineable as to whether or not I think he takes over Stuart Jew's job at the moment. I think we probably have to wait out the rest of the season and see how that goes. Stuart might feel like he wants opportunity elsewhere. It might become, um, you know, a task that he's, you know, he, he's still got the backing of Gold Coast. I think that's a really important thing to say um, yeah. and sort of note. But, yeah, I guess it is when you said there's smoke, there's fire, I definitely think there's some truth in that. So I'll be, I'll be just as fascinated as everyone else. I don't know anything more than anything else. It's purely just theories and, you know, I guess how much attachment you have to a coach. Yeah, well, I think obviously Hinkley, it would be silly for Paul to let him go. I think he's been fantastic this season and obviously for the last however many seasons he's been coaching as well. He's been fantastic. And the number one thing for me is if you have the playing group and if you don't have the playing group, I don't think you should be the coach. And I think he's one of the most solid coaches in the league for having the playing group. And, and he's been fantastic in that sense. But I think the number one, obviously everyone's it's on everyone's lips at the moment. The number one suitor for that job would be Damien Hardwick. Um, for a couple of reasons, I think obviously Damien Hardwick, the timing of his uh, exit from Richmond was a bit strange, to be honest. I think maybe he was just trying to get to the point where he'd coached the most uh, games for Richmond and he'd coached over that 300 mark. I think he, he reached that milestone earlier in the year. Um, so maybe he was trying to get over that. I'm, I'm not too sure what was going on uh, inside the four walls there, but I think Damien Hardwick would just be the perfect replacement for Stuart Jew. Um, I think it was spoken about a couple of years ago with Alistair Clarkson and potentially there'll be an ambassador role um, there for the goal, in the Gold Coast Suns. And obviously part of that would be the AFL would pay a salary to the coach, in that case, Alistair Clarkson, in this case, Damien Hardwick, to go up there uh, and use it as a bit of an incentive to help one of the most struggling teams in the competition. And I think Damien Hardwick would really jump at that idea. One for the money, obviously, would be fantastic. Uh, but I don't think that would be the main reason, I think. One of the reasons would be the challenge. I think it would be a fantastic challenge for him. Uh, he's obviously turned the club around at Richmond. Uh, obviously, Brendan Gale and, and uh, a few others were a massive part of that. But I think he was a huge part of that as well, which is has not really gone unspoken. And another part of it was getting out of the footy bubble. So I'm reading into it a little bit here, but Dimmer has always been on the side of his players. And one of the players, obviously, he's been on the side of most is Dustin Martin. And he's talked, uh, spoke about Dustin Martin uh, in a great light a lot of the time, and he's always been his biggest um, biggest supporter. But a big one was uh, when Dimmer was backing up Dustin Martin and his potential move to somewhere like a Sydney or uh, like a Queensland, and he was talking about getting out of the footy bubble uh, and how how much pressure that Melbourne brings and how much pressure the Richmond Footy Club brings on one person. And I think reading into that a little bit, I think Damien sees the sort of he had the empathy for Dusty in those situations and how Dusty would have felt. And I think that came from a point of how he felt. Uh, so I think going up to the Gold Coast, obviously you're out of that footy bubble and it's another challenge for you. And that AFL ambassador role, I think if they can't get Dimmer, keep Stewie Jew, but Dimmer would be silly to say no. Yeah. Yeah. I can't argue with that. I think it's a theory that has certainly a lot of legs. Um, as I said, I think it's probably still a little bit to play out the rest of this year, but uh, the thinking's definitely there, Matt. And Dim is the, he's the, he's the guy on the market. He's hot property. So Gold yeah. Coast, if, if, they, if they don't have that belief in Stuart Jew, 
then I think they should go hammer and tong. I, I think they still do have that belief. So something would have to change at the end of the season for them to do that. The way Mark Evans spoke yesterday, which was with a lot of conviction, which I love to see, backing up your coach, I think it's something that we didn't see with Likewise. Essendon last year. I, that was just diabolical, the way they handled it with Ben Rutten. Um, I think how Carton did it as well previously with a couple of their coaches. So it's good to see something different uh, for a change in that regard. So um, a lot to play out. 100%, 100%. And on to someone we just spoke about, Ken Hinckley and his team, uh, Port Adelaide, have obviously been absolutely smashing it for the last 12 weeks, 12-week winning streak. Um, they've been uh, smashed all their club records for wins and for percentage uh, at this point of the season. And uh, I think that's coming off the back of a real team effort. I think we were talking about it just the other day when we were, you were going through your All-Australian team uh, for your rolling All-Australian and, it's hard to put more than sort of two, two or three Port Adelaide players in there mm. uh, just because it's come from such a team effort and they've been such an amazing side, like a Richmond from a couple of years ago who only had one or two standouts. So one of those standouts we, we spoke about who's uh, the man of the moment at the moment, the man of the hour, <laughs> uh, and that's Dan, Dan Houston. So kicked an amazing goal on the weekend. As soon as he got it, uh, I don't know if, if you had this sense, but I had a real sense of confidence that he was going to kick it. Oh. Uh, not just because of how, how good of a kick he is. I just saw um, it switch straight to Ken Hinckley on the sidelines, crossed arm, laughing. Just It's almost like he knew it was going in. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one thing I was reading into it, and I, I didn't get to watch much of that game uh, as I was doing the Ashes, but I saw the last three minutes. And when I saw Dan Houston take that mark, the first thing that struck me was didn't look for any other options. He knew how much time was left. He just turned his back straight on the goals and just started preparing yep. for it. That was a massive show of confidence in really tough conditions. And obviously from that point forward, there was nothing Essendon could have done to prevent him from kicking that goal. But I thought that said a lot. As you said, it turned to Ken. I mean, he may have come to the realisation that there was also nothing more that he could do. And if they lost mm. from here, they lost from here. But at the same time, you can read on it. If you're going glass half full type operation, you're saying, this guy's going to kick it, and that's exactly yeah. what he did in very tough conditions. So, um, yeah, Dan Houston, who's one of those players that was in my rolling All-Australian team, he probably wasn't in there up until a couple of weeks ago, but deserved reward for form, and I'm sure he's fully aware that he's in my uh, rolling All-Australian team. I'm sure he's taking that in his stride. Not really. Um, but, um, yeah, he, he's definitely someone that's, uh, yeah, probably surprised me a little bit. He's always been a good player, but all Australians another level. Um, and especially with the calibre of players that's rolling around this year in the AFL, a lot of youth as well, guys like Harry Sheasel coming off halfback, Whispers Dacos, I think he'll also be there come season's end. But, um, yeah, for Houston to be alongside those names, a pretty big honour, I would have thought. Uh, to be in that conversation, there's still a little bit to play out, as we know. But, yeah, I think he's been awesome. Yeah, I think he's been amazing this season with his ability to go forward, uh, especially a cool head going inside 50 is sort of uh, priceless on any team and anyone would really want that. But he's really stepped up this year in his running ability and also his defensive awareness as well. Uh, that's what's really impressed me that not a lot of people speak about. Mm. But he's just so calm, cool and collected, great kick and he's been a massive part of why this Port Adelaide team keeps winning. Um, but what do you think this uh, Port Adelaide team has switched one of the things that, that I've personally thought of is it's just sort of everyone playing their role. And uh, Bill Belichick, the coach of the uh, New England Patriots, always spoke about do your job. Uh, he never he never wanted to, anyone to do anything amazing, anything special. He just always said do your job. Uh, he literally wrote a book on it. So uh, I think that's a big thing with this Port Adelaide team is they've just all done their job. You look at someone like a Jeremy Finlayson. Um, we were speaking about him as well. I wouldn't put him anywhere near an All-Australian team. But has he been an All-Australian caliber player? I think he has. 
um, whether he's played the first hole, the second hole, the third hole, or he's played first ruck, second ruck, or he's even gone uh, down back for, for stretches as well. Uh, I just think he's been such a valuable part of their team. Uh, but what do you think is sort of switched for them? I, I completely agree. You took the words out of my mouth. Role playing is something they're doing. It's something we saw a little bit of from Port last year. I think they showed signs of it, but this year they've just stuck with it and Ken's just gone with his gut. I don't think, you know, um, the, I think this is something you would probably go into lead into, but I'm, I'm going to beat you to it. The faith he has in a few guys that's to just play their role and that's what they're there for. So um, I'm going to bring it up. A good mate of mine, Jed McIntyre as well. Um, he, you know, he's not someone who just sets the stat sheet alight each week, but he's played uh, all 13 of those or 12 games that they've won. And I don't think it's a shock that not just him, there are plenty of other guys in the team that are doing it. Um, Kane Farrell, someone who I've been really, really impressed with as well since he's come in um, this season, but uh, a lot of the young guys coming into the team as well. But yeah, just playing their role and it made like what, to use Jed as an example, the pressure that he puts in the forward line allows guys like Junior Rioli when they're in the team to play a little bit more offensively. It's a bit of a push-pull mentality. Jed's pulling that rope to make sure that defend, uh, the, the defensive side of the forward line is down pat. He's holding down the fort, allows guys like Willie Rioli to really burn people on the offense. Um, you know, not just the small forwards as well, guys like Jeremy Finlayson, Dixon, leaving him one out, sort of Jed making sure, or Willie Rioli making sure at times that they're dragging defenders out of that forward line to leave Dixon one-on-one, Marshall one-on-one. Um, it's small things like that that sort of sound like, oh, yeah, I can see how that happens. But I think they're doing it consistently week in, week out to the best of their ability, and that's why they're running with Collingwood for the premiership favourites. I think Collingwood's probably got Port pipped at the post at the moment, but I really rate Port and their game plan this year and how they've gone about it and just their no-fuss um, mentality. Um, yeah. you know, I think also throwing Butters and Rosie more or less full-time into the midfield has been a massive call from It's a big call to throw guys who are only 22 years of age to basically run an AFL midfield, um, but it gives them the luxury of being able to put guys like ba- uh, Wines and Boak, half-forward flank, wing, rotating into the midfield. Like The small things like having Boak run in as the second midfield rotation, say they're playing the Western Bulldogs, their second uh, you know, midfield rotation is very, very strong. Having said that, who would normally beat another team's second midfield rotation? But you've got guys like Broken Wines coming in there um, when normally their Bulldogs players are expecting to you know, have a bit of a runaround because they're not playing against the team's first midfield. So um, small things like that, they add up. And, yeah, I, I couldn't speak higher of how Port have played this season. Yeah, I think you're bang on there, especially with uh, sort of like highlighting each other's weaknesses and sort of uplifting your own strengths to to help out with others' weaknesses. I think one player that's done that massively is Willem Drew as well. Mm. Uh, he's a big body. He's doing whatever whatever's necessary for him to do. And he's helping players like Rosie and Butters uh, who might not have the best defensive running at times, but he's sort of uh, picking up the scraps for them and, and helping them out on the defensive end and being that bigger body. Obviously, uh, Butters and, or especially Butters, but Butters and Rosie, not big bodies necessarily in the midfield, not just yet anyway. Um, so players like Bo, like Wines uh, and like Drew have really sacrificed their own roles, even like, especially someone like Wines. You look at the sort of fall from grace he's had from a Brownlow year a couple of years ago, and now he's really just not the player that he once was. But now it's sort of transferring into the winning. And that's what it's all about, really. It's, it's not about the individual accolades. Uh, it's really about the winning uh, winning side. And uh, obviously them doing that and them sacrificing that is not the best for them on the stat sheet or not the best for them with personal accolades. 
But we've seen 12 wins in a row, and I think it speaks for itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think with Wines, like, you know, he probably isn't playing his best football that he was two years ago. I mean, it's pretty hard to top a Brownlow year, from, especially from someone who was more of an outside chance than an inside chance to win that year, um, you know, on face value. But at the same time, I think a lot of the reason why we haven't seen him as much is because he's just not playing as much midfield. Like, if you yep. told someone at the start of the year, Zach Butters and Connor Rosie are going to be running 80% of the time in the midfield, you're not thinking that... Um, Willem Drew is going to be that third guy. As important as he mm. is, I think a lot of people are just saying, yeah, Travis Boak or yeah, Ollie Wines. Um, those guys are playing different roles and they're senior heads. And to have senior heads in positions like on the wing or a half-forward flank where generally, not all the time, but generally they're probably the newer players, um, they're now doing the tough roles uh, on those in those positions, whether it's a wing or a half-forward flank, um, even a forward pocket at times. Uh, we've seen Travis Boak do so. Yeah, I, I think that's why we haven't seen as much of Ollie Wines. But at the same time, I, I think it's... A very team first mentality. I remember Dimmer talking about it on Dill Buckley's podcast not long ago. Um, to use that same analogy, Kane Lambert was someone who, in Richmond's premiership years, was someone who allowed players like Jason Castagna to, you know, play the role that they did. Very offensive, very goal sense, very attacking. Um, you know, sort of goes under the radar. You don't notice it as much, and you sort of feel silly for not noticing it as much. Like. Tim has obviously got a very big appreciation for players like that, and I think Ken would have some very similar players in that Port team who have been rewarded um, for their efforts and their selflessness. Port's been a very selfless team. I think Jeremy Cameron, someone who, when he was at GBS, I wouldn't associate selfless with. I wouldn't say that I'd associate selfishness with him, but I wouldn't say he would have been selfless. He's not someone that stands out when he was there. But this year, you know, I still, despite kicking all these goals, I still think he's had this team first mentality and that's really impressive when he's been standing out as much as he has. Um, so a lot of role players, but also a lot of guys who are killing it. Finlayson, Butters, Houston, Rosie's also had an unbelievable year, but just hasn't had as much of it highlighted just because, you know, he's in the same midfield as Zach Butters. So I think it's extremely impressive and uh, I, I can't wait to see what they do. I think they do go very, very close to the chip this year. Yeah, as do I. And I think if you look at the good teams versus the bad teams this year, there's only one thing that separates them. And I've been looking at this really, really closely uh, because obviously I've been keeping a bit of a close eye on Carlton this year, as most people have. Um, but if you watch Carlton play, watch how often they're running twos and threes. It's almost never. They're always running by themselves and someone's looking for a lead further up. But you watch the teams like Port Adelaide, you watch the teams like Essendon, like Collingwood, they are always running in twos and threes because there's always someone there uh, for the handoff. There's always someone there who's shepherding, always someone there who's helping out a teammate. And it's constantly running in twos and threes, unrewarded runs, unrewarded effort. The amount of times I've seen players, even like Taylor Adams or obviously players like Nick Dacos uh, running past their players and they don't get the hands whatsoever, oh, honestly, I couldn't even count the amount of times I've seen that. So I think Port are doing that well as well. Uh, players like, like Kane Farrell, players like Dean Houston, uh, even Williams as well. They're sort of they're sprinting mm. off. They're, go, they're going for the hands uh, and they're wanting it and they're wanting uh, to sort of take the game on and, and put it into the forward 50. And I think what you're seeing with Port Adelaide as well is the players that are kicking inside forward 50 are the players you'd want to be kicking inside forward 50. Uh, you're not getting as as much as the Ollie Wines or or whoever it might be kicking inside forward fifty. You're putting it in your best players' hands, and I think that's what the best teams are doing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I'll touch on that last point. Like Houston and Farrell are two unbelievable kicks. I think Farrell is one of the yeah. most underrated kicks in the comp, um, not just for his Definitely. distance, but just his accuracy. So, yeah, that you know it helps when you've got the good delivery into a forward line who has just you know a plethora of tall forward. You got Todd Marshall, Charlie Dixon, um, you know. 
Jordi Artis was injured. I'm missing someone as well. Uh, I'll tip my tongue. But they've got, you know, three or four tall forwards and then small Ben Lason as well. Ben Lason, sorry, that's the one I was thinking of. Um, yeah, when you've got three tall forwards like that who are three of the best, uh, you know, they're in the top half of the, you know, tall forwards in the comp, um, you know, and that's sort of being generous. Uh, sorry, it's being conservative. Um, you know, it makes it very, very hard for defenders to match up on them each week. Like, not many teams have three genuine tall defenders. And, if they are, they're probably calling it up from the reserves half the time, and you can get exposed when there's good ball delivery. Um, and you got forwards who've been switched on for twelve weeks in a row. It's a hard run to break, and I, I think they probably get up against the sun this weekend and make it thirteen. Yeah, definitely, I completely agree. And that's one player I like to highlight as well. Kane Farrell, as you said, there very underrated player at the moment, uh, and I think he, he's just sort of playing whatever role the team needs him to play, uh, whether, whether it's up forward or it's been a lot of the half back, um, and they're getting the ball in his hands because he's one of the best users. And uh, one of my favourite commentators, uh, Daisy Pierce, the other day, I know she's not very popular, don't know why, but I, I really like her. No, uh, I like her. She said, "Yeah, she's good value." She said the other day, Kane Farrell has uh, the best kicking power to weight ratio in the competition. And I think that is bang on. He's he's a little bloke. He, there's not much to him. Yeah. But if he gets off on one, he'll kick it 60, 65 easily. So yeah. you look right. at someone like a Trent McKenzie, he's a big unit, and you'd expect him to sort of have a cannon on him. Uh, but then someone like Kane Farrell, great, great power to weight ratio. Great call by Daisy. Yeah, no, that's um, another good call from Daisy. She's good at picking up those players that don't get as much attention. I have actually noticed that yeah. the last month or so. She's, she's very good at that. So very observant commentator. Yeah, and no, I love Daisy. But anyway, on to uh, who we think for the Brownlow. So it's something that's really heating up at the moment. Uh, the Brownlow race is always a favourite of ours to speak about. Uh, and, and the clear favourite right now is obviously Nick Dacos. Uh, we spoke about him before, and, and I could honestly sit here and riddle off all these stats to you and, and bore you to death. But I think I was in a debate the other day with someone, um, a bit. they were a massive Richmond fan, and they were talking about uh, Nick Dacos and talking about how, how he just gets cheap touches and he takes kick-ins. Uh, it's something that really, really bothered me because um, obviously as someone who watches the game and appreciates the game, he's obviously not getting cheap kicks and touches. They're wanting to get the ball in his hands because he's the best user and obviously they're getting the ball in his hands a serious amount per game, whether it's 33, 34, 35, however many touches he's getting and it's translating to wins. So you're sort of seeing that if you get the ball in his hands, you your team's going to win. Um, so I think if you take the stats out of it and just look at the eye test and you say, is Dacos one of the most impactful players in the competition right now? There is no one that watches footy and understands footy that will say no. I um, uh, You may have heard me say this before. This is a conversation I haven't had for a couple of weeks just because my housemates have been either in Europe or in America. But, Matt, the, I've heard every argument under the sun from two of my best mates telling me as to why Nick Dacos shouldn't win the Brownlow and why he's being overhyped. I've heard it all. And there are still flaws in his game, like there isn't any 19, 20-year-old, but I think that goes without saying. Um, but he is definitely, I'm going to say, top three most impactful players in the competition. His defensive work isn't great, but as we highlighted, like um, there are players in teams that Dacos is playing that role for a reason. If he's doing it that offensively with not much defensive work comparative to, you know, your normal midfield or your normal halfback. Mm. There is a reason for that. And there is someone at Collingwood who is doing the exact opposite, allowing him to do that. So I think it's more yep. of a, it's, it's his role. Obviously we, you know, we highlighted that very early on in the season on the eye test. He's unbelievable. And I would love to sit down with a coach and ask 
why he doesn't get more attention week in, week out. Like, I just remember the first eight rounds of the season every week, whether it was to do with fantasy or how many touches he was going to get or how well he's going to play, how many Brownlow votes. Every week, we would say, yeah, but he's going to get tagged this week because coaches, you know, they're saying we're going to put attention to him. No, they don't. I remember Essendon coming out saying they're going to put attention to him and he kicked two and 38. And in the last quarter, both of those goals came from him running by himself into the Ford 50. Very good goals. You know, applaud his work ethic. But coaches just don't seem to put anywhere near as much attention to him as what they say they do, which says two things. One, they're just saying that to, you know, stop themselves from copying a little bit during the week, the week they're leading up to play them, or two, they are actually trying to, and it's just not working. And I weirdly think it's the former. I don't think coaches are putting too much attention into him. As I said, I would love to know why. I think he's he's leading my Brownlow predictor at the moment. Uh, I was very close up until on the weekend. Taranto had a bit of an off game. I have him sitting in second and Dacos, obviously, you know, probably gets the three votes against Gold Coast, but all in all, just an exceptional player. Um, and he is moving more into the midfield. Craig McRae just has this great sense of when to play players where, like where to play players when. And I think he sort of recognised this time of the season, a couple of the matchups they've had, this is a really good chance to just help develop him into a midfielder. Come finals time, you could play him absolutely anywhere. And I think he's going to run a mark. So I, you know, if I was an AFL coach and there's a reason I'm not, um, but I would think he deserves a lot more attention than what he's getting at the moment. Uh, you know, his impact on games is just sensational. And he's also selfless. His awareness, you would have seen it, Matt, like the handballs he's doing over his head to guys who are just not in his peripheral vision at all, yet he still hits them time in, time out. Um, you know, his tackling game has stepped up the last few weeks. I think he had 10 tackles. Uh, I don't know if it was on the weekend of the week, but no, it would have been on the weekend. I think he had 10 tackles. Week, yeah. yeah. Um, which is something we haven't seen from him a lot. Um, you know, I'm sure he's jumped onto a few blokes after his teammates wrapped him up and getting the plus four, but they all count. Um, and yeah, his pressure is definitely uh, lifting. And as I said, you know, everyone's going to have flaws in their game when you're that young. And we're really clutching at straws to be calling these flaws of a guy who is just dominating the competition. Yeah, I find it so stupid when people sort of, you can just sit there and admire the greatness uh, of Dacos, but people just decide to pick flaws in it and sort of when you're at the top of your game, that's when you just receive the most criticism. Uh, and I think that's a, a massive thing for Dacos at the moment. He is just about better than any other player in the competition and more impactful than any other player in the competition. And going inside forward 50, there's not too many players that I watch going inside forward 50 and see a score not like a score happen every single time they have the ball. Uh, whether, whether it's him assisting someone, whether it's him uh, hitting the target from long range, obviously he's a great leg. Uh, and it, just a great user of the ball. And as you said before, he's just got that innate awareness uh, of who's around him and, and sort of who can um, who can be the most impactful in that position, whether it's him or whether it's others. He's so selfless in, in that regard as well. So uh, fantastic player and I'm very, very keen to watch him for the next sort of 10, 15 years uh, and his brother as well. So someone who is really, really challenging him at the moment and uh, I think it's just going a little bit under the radar. So that's why I wanted to highlight it. It's a former Brownlow medalist. Uh, he's playing for one of the top four teams in the competition, and that's Lockie Neal. Uh, Lockie Neal averaging 28 touches this year, um, but that's not a, not really what he's doing. It's not like he's setting the world alight, uh, having sort of 40, 45 touch games like he was in his Brownlow year. Uh, it, it's more of this the fact that he's really doing the team thing, uh, and he's stepping up where he needs to step up. So on the weekend, you saw it was a massive win, and, and he was massively involved in that with score involvements. He stepped up in a big way when Dunkley went off late, late in the game uh, and also he ended up adding to the score sheet twice, uh, which is something that's really eluded him. Uh, even in his Brownlow year as well, he wasn't really hitting the stat sheet, uh, hitting the score sheet a lot. So 
he's a player that's really, really impressing me at the moment. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm really surprised he's going under the radar, uh, especially on a top four side with, I think, a big factor in the Brownlow is that no one's taking votes off of him as well. Uh, I think he's going to be the main main polar on that team. He's going to be someone that's it's really going to be, uh, like, come the end of the year, I think he's going to be stepping up in big games and really taking it to Dacos. Yeah, I, I think news lasts... Uh, it's more than a month. I'd say last five, six weeks have been exceptional. He definitely had a slow start to the season, but it's really funny yeah. how these things work, Matt. Like I have a bit of a theory that the more of a team player you are, the less attention you get from the opposition, but the more attention you get from, you know, media umpires, et cetera. Yeah, so the I umpires, yeah. Him, you know, having 27 instead of 35, he's being more of a team player, but at the same time, because he's being a team player, he's hitting, you know, kicks, you know, 40 out, um, you know, directly in front to see me out of the midfield when normally he might blaze away and try and kick it to the top of the goal square. It's a stat. You know, it's not an effective one, but um, it goes down on the stat sheet. So, really, I think this has worked full – not worked, but it's gone full circle for him. Um, I'm very, very excited um, to see the last, what, seven, eight weeks of the Brownlow because I think it's going to be very, very tight. And Neil, someone who's, you know, really going to come home strong, I think, as I said, started off the season a little bit more quiet than what he would have liked, but – He's been awesome, uh, especially since his buy. And I think him, Jordan Dawson, someone as well, who I think comes steaming home. Um, yeah, I don't agree. But I think the way he's playing at the moment is seriously, you know, top shelf behavior. Um, and Neil comes out of that category as well. So there are a few guys who I think, you know, with their draw, um, with the way they're playing at the moment, um, and I guess, you know, just how the, the matchups that other teams have, I think will be, yeah, giving Dacos uh, and Co a fair run for their money at the top of the top of the Brownlow votes. Yeah, I think three of the biggest factors that we uh, normally look at in the Brownlow uh, here at the Wing It podcast, and obviously we uh, predicted Ollie Wines to win the Brownlow at eighty-one dollars odds. So we, did. we do know a little bit about it. But uh, <laughs> one of the, the three biggest factors we look at is team success. So obviously, if you if you're going to be winning the game, more than likely you're going to get the three vote uh, player on your team. Who's taking votes off of you? Uh, so that's why we don't see a lot of teams who are, who are some of the best teams of all time have the players who win it, such as I'm not saying the best team of all time, but uh, such as the Demons. You see Petrarca and Oliver uh, often taking votes off each other and there's lots to go around. Um, so I don't think anyone's really taking it off of him. And another factor I'm looking at is previous uh, polling as well. Mm-hmm. So you look at someone uh, like maybe a Jack Steele or a Callum Mills, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people really touted them to be one of the favorites for the Brownlow medal in years gone by. And and they never really had that season before the season or uh, the previous voting uh, sort of stature from the umpires to, to really make a, make a noise in the Brownlow, especially come late in the year. Uh, but I think obviously Neil has all three of these things with team success. They're going to be one of the best teams coming in the end of the year. No one's taking votes off of him and he's won it before. So he's got the proven pedigree in the Brownlow. Uh, and I think that's something that's really, really important. And sometimes, that's when you see players win when they might not deserve it. Someone like a Nat Fife or someone like Patrick Cripps, they might not have had the best season, but they've just got that pedigree and the umpires are looking out for them. And if it's a game where it might be a little bit close, they go, oh, Neil was probably best on. We'll just give him three as, as opposed to someone like an Ashcroft or uh, someone even like a Zach Bailey or someone like yeah. that. So I think, I think that's a massive factor. Danaher's yeah. probably got a few as well. Um, just through sheer amount of goals in a few games. So I, I do agree with you. I think, you know, um, unlike past years, I think Neil's got a pretty good leg up, which is interesting since Dunkley's coming to the team. Um, you know, he gets a yep. few votes. But in terms of stealing, it's got to be nothing like, you know, your Oliver Petrarca combo. One that I've definitely noticed this year 
that's gone into that same conversation, Butters and Rosie. Like I both think they poll really well. Uh, yep. Butters in particular, but Rosie is just consistently picking up two votes. And I think there's probably a couple of games where, you know, he picks up three instead of Butters. Butters gets two instead um, and vice versa. Um, you know, Finlayson gets a couple. I could talk about Port all day. But, yeah, same sort of thing where they're stealing votes of each other. And I think that's probably the reason why Butters isn't in the same conversation as uh, Dinic Dacos right now, two or three weeks ago maybe. But, um, yeah, it, it's fascinating how all that works. Some umpires just see players differently. And, mm. you know, if you've got a certain umpire that umpires Brisbane six or seven games in a year, which I'm assuming is probably quite a lot for one umpire. I don't know. Um, you know, it just takes them to see one player differently or one player stand out more or one player stand out less to, you know, impact the Brownlow votes enough to maybe make the difference. So, yeah, it's all fascinating. I think previous polling is a really good point, Matt, that you bring up because sometimes players just do get votes. Taylor Walker is someone who just seems to get votes and seems to poll well for Adelaide. On the contrary, Rory Laird's never really polled amazingly for them um, for whatever reason, despite, you know, obviously hitting the stat sheet and that's not everything, but... His last couple of years have been really good and he hasn't polled as well as I've expected. Taylor Walker is a very, very good player that seems to pick up um, votes really. I, you know, I think he polls well again this year, but um, he probably takes votes off lead in the case as he has done the last couple of years. Yeah, I think I think you bang on about Rosie and Butters. I think for the first eight weeks, you could easily said that uh, Rosie was one of the favourites of the Brownlow. And then if you just take the last eight weeks, I think Butters is probably one of the favourites of the Brownlow as well. So they've sort of been chopping and changing and having different form streaks. Uh, but I think in the last 12 weeks, Butters has been just so impactful uh, for a team that just keeps on winning and winning and winning. So it's going to be really interesting if come the end of the year, I think Dacos, Neil, Butters, Taranto, Rosie, Dawson uh, are all going to be names up there. And I don't think it's going to be a clear-cut favourite. Uh, obviously, if Dacos continues this, then it might just be. But I don't know. I keep, I keep saying every year, uh, every week that Dacos is going to get attention, someone's going to tag him, and he's going to get tagged out of a game. But no one seems to be able to do it. Yeah. So no one I think seems Petrarca's to be able to up do there it. as well, Matt. I reckon Petrarca, yeah. you know, with all of the being out, I think he's, he's had a really um, few good games the last few weeks. So he's someone I think up there. Jack Sinclair as well from St Kilda. He doesn't win mm. it, but yeah, um, he's had a few really good games. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jack Sinclair was someone I was really liking last year uh, in terms of the vote count, but uh, he didn't end up coming quite up there as much as I thought he I thought he would. Uh, but obviously someone like Jack Sinclair, he sort of had the breakout season last year. Mm. And he's been good now for a couple of seasons. That It, it might be the, the point where he's got that pedigree to get the votes uh, okay. and that could be a really big moment. But I think it bodes well for Neil. What you said before is probably the number one taking, player taking votes off him is Joe Danaher who I'd be surprised if Joe Dana has ever polled more than six or seven votes in a year. So uh, yeah. I think it bodes really well for Neil and it'll be really interesting to see what happens come the yeah. end of the year. So, mm. all right, let's get in onto the rising star debate. Sorry, one more thing, Matt, your final prediction for the Brownlow, who did you have? Oh, I'll go with Neil. I'll go with the value, $12 wow. for Neil. Wow, yeah, I think very good. I, I picked Brisbane for the premiership uh, okay. uh, for the uh, to make the grand final at the start mm-hmm. of the year. Uh, and I think they'll continue that. I think they're going to be massive come the end of the season. And I think he's going to be a big reason that that they do that. And to be honest, with uh, Dunkley looking the way he is, he's, he's definitely going to be out this week, they think, with a calf strain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might be a couple of weeks. But I honestly just see no one taking votes off of him uh, in terms of, I think Dunkley is, has never really polled too well. Uh, but obviously, we've only really seen him in a stacked uh, Bulldogs midfield where he was sort of shunned to the side. But I just think he's the only one with all three of those things that we look at um, on the podcast. So 
Nice. I think he's got the perfect recipe to to win it as a bit of a roughie this year as well, which is mm. exciting. So I like the thinking. Well done. Very good. Sorry, I didn't awesome. cut you off. Um, no, That's right. start. All right. Let's get on to the rising star debate. So the rising star is something that's also heating up as well. I think a, a lot of the awards this year, whether it's rising star, Brownlow, all the Coleman uh, are going to be really, really tight come the end of the year. And one one person that's really standing out to me at the moment, as, I, as I've spoken to you about before, is, is Mitch Owens. So obviously the Saints, uh, they're still holding on to, to that top eight spot, whether they will hold on to it for the rest of the year. Crazy. I, I'm not too sure, to nah. be honest. Um, but uh, that's a debate for another time. But Mitch Owens has been a massive part of that. So uh, I I'll, I'll sort of love those players who are the Swiss Army knife like your Finlayson, as we hinted on before, and he's really been that. So I don't think playing his juniors, I don't think he'd be, uh, I don't think, I think he would be quite surprised if you told him he was going to be the second ruck at some stages in uh, his career. Yep. Yep. Um, but he's, he's sort of played second ruck. He's been midfielder, inside, outside. Uh, he's been playing up forward and he just had a great game on the weekend as well. So kicking four goals, uh, it was against the Eagles, but it was a bit of a hard fought victory in the end. Uh, but who are you liking for the Rising Star? Yeah, I, I do have to agree with you. Uh, I was hoping you'd say someone else other than Mitch Owens just so I could come in with that little cheeky one. But no, uh, Owens has been awesome. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know if he wins it. And the reason I say that is there just seems to be this taboo theory that guys who aren't in their actual first year of AFL, like the year after they've been drafted, they just don't seem to do as well from what I've seen. I could be wrong there. Um, but I, I think he goes very, very close. I mean, obviously – there are a few other contenders which we will talk about. But in terms of Mitch Owens, I think he's probably the guy that deserves to win. I think he's had the most output for his team, St. Kilda. Um, I guess it's just how you, how much you base it on, really. Like, he's basing it on a stat line, probably not him. But output, um, and not an easy role, mind you. He's not playing on ball. He's not playing off halfback. Like, he's playing, from what I've seen mostly, either a forward pocket or a half-forward flank, which is a pretty hard... Pretty hard place to, you know, do as much as what he's doing, especially in the first year. So I think, you know, when you take into consider consideration how hard it is for him to play the role that he's doing and have that output, I think Owens beats the likes of guys like Sheasel, Ashcroft. And Miss has been very good. It's not easy being a key forward um, in your uh, second year, but he's, he's also been really, really good. Uh, I think Mitch deserves to win, but I don't think he will win if you yep. catch my drift. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, with Owens, obviously, as I was saying before, he's he's really contributing to that winning. But like you were saying, it's in such a hard position. He, he really doesn't know week to week where he's going to be playing. Uh, I'm sure he finds out at some point. But he sort of has to gel into into that um, mould that they need him to play in. And he's just been fantastic in every game I've watched him this year. So someone who, as you were saying before, if it's sort of stats-driven, someone who, who I think would be winning it with ease if it was stats-driven is a Harry Sheasel. So uh, she's always been a bit of the surprise package of the year, I'd say. Um, I think a lot of people coming in, a, a lot of scouts, obviously watching him as a forward. He was more of that Stevie J type. I heard that comparison thrown around quite a lot. Uh, and he's been anything but that this year, to be honest. Um, obviously, he played a one halfback game in the preseason. And then since he's, he's just been, uh, he's just found a home there in halfback. So averaging 27 touches on the season, he's, he's been one of the most impactful players for North Melbourne. In or granted, a not very impactful year for the for the club, but he's been a real shining light for them in, in not so great of a season. And he's someone who's who's really really caught my eye this year. 
Uh, and I'm loving how he's just been able to transform his game and transform himself from that forward who who might have been a crafty forward, a, a low impact, uh, high impact, low numbers player, um, but he's become a sort of high impact, high numbers player as well. So, yeah, no, I, I don't have too much to add. I think it's very impressive um, that he's able to adapt himself across multiple positions. Like I think we're probably going to start seeing him play a little bit more up forward or in the midfield um, towards the end of the season, just the way that North Melbourne yep. are going at the moment. And I think. Similar to Collingwood, I think Sheasel had a very friendly role um, or had has had a very friendly role um, for North Melbourne at halfback, and that doesn't take anything away from him, but just the way that North Melbourne distribute the ball, look for players, um, you know, moving up the ground. I think we've seen that before with guys like um, Jack Siebel is a good example. They, they do like to centre their game plan at times around getting their um, ball into the hands of people a lot more than what other teams might, like, very yep. specific team-driven play, like Paul Adelaide, Richmond in their golden area. You didn't have many guys t- getting heaps of touches off halfback. Um, you know, a little bit saturated uh, in the hands of some, but they're good ball users, and Harry Shears was a really good example of that. So um, not knocking his role by any means. I think he's had a superb year and has probably uh, hit the ceiling and then some of the expectations that people had for him, and he's going to be very, very versatile and hopefully pays dividends in the years to come. Yeah, 100%. I think it's just really important for a team, especially like North Melbourne, to get the ball in their best users' hands and that's what they've been looking for all year. And talking about uh, getting the ball in your best users' hands, someone who Brisbane Lions have really, really relied on this year, personally, a lot more than I thought they would rely on, is is Mm -hmm. Ashcroft. Mm -hmm. So obviously he was very, very highly touted coming into the league and everyone thought he would be fantastic. But I tell you what, I did not expect him to hit the ground running the way he is. He has proven to be one of the best midfielders for Brisbane this year in what is a fantastic midfield. He's kept players like Hugh McCluggage, players like Zach Bailey, and obviously uh, Jared Lyons, who's not really even playing AFL at the moment, um, out of the side, which Mm. has been quite amazing to see in your first year, uh, averaging over 22 touches a game uh, and five score involvements as well. He's just been so damaging with the pill, uh, and he's been so consistent week in, week out. You know what you're getting from him. Uh, and it's not really something that, that where um, you're let down by any game that he's playing in. So what are your thoughts on Ashcroft? Oh, I think he's a very, very good player. Um, I think the way that he's getting midfield time for Brisbane has given their side a massive surplus in the respect that Zach Bailey can play off half forward basically full time now. Whereas, um, you know, while they were still giving him, you know, last year and the year before time in the midfield, good for his development, they probably felt at times I did still need to have him in there. I think now with Ashcroft there, Dunkley coming in, they don't need to have Bailey in there at all. And he can, you know, run his opponent off halfback sort of into the ground. Um, as I said, surplus is a good word. You can put guys like Hugh McCluggage on a wing where I think he, you know, takes the piss a little bit sometimes. I think, again, yeah. surplus, he's a guy that's good enough to be in the midfield, but he isn't and he's playing on the outside as a result. So I actually think their team structure is very, very good. I mean, for Brisbane, you know, going slightly off topic, I think their forward structure is very, very important. When when Danaher and Hipwood are playing well, they play well. Um, whether that's got anything to do with Ashcroft playing midfield and sort of setting other guys up around that accordingly, I don't know. But uh, Ashcroft is someone I've been very, very impressed with and he's clearly having a positive impact on Brisbane as a whole, um, as I think, yeah, most of their recruits this year have been. Yeah, 100%. Bang on. I think Brisbane are going to be really, really scary come the end of the year, uh, especially when they've got a lot of players who – might even be rested up by the end of the year, the way they go on, they might be able to rest a couple of games here and there. So one player I just want to quickly hint on as well, I know we're both a big fan of, and you, you mentioned him before, is Jaya Miss. So playing up forward for uh, Frio this year, obviously 
you would have thought he'd be playing second or third tall coming into the year with, with Tabernar not really finding either form or finding his, his body getting right either. Um, Jai Miss has sort of found that place for himself as, as the number one key forward for Frio who looked to be pushing towards finals after a really rocky start. Uh, but going over two goals a game, I, I think he's been a, a real revelation for them and being a player who's sort of low stats but maximum impact, uh, averaging under eight touches a game. But when he gets the ball, you know that he's going to be sort of involved in a score or or he's going to be uh, sort of clunking marks or smashing packs. Yeah, he, I, I love, as someone who played a lot of forward at, um, in footy, I love seeing guys like Amis who are low um, sort of on the disposal on the, on the stat sheet but very high in their output, whether that's through goals, contested marks, score assists, because as you said, you know that something's going to happen when they're around the ball. So I love seeing players like him. I think they're quite rare. Um, Harrison yep. Jones from Essendon, someone who I thought might be that kind of player, and yes, he doesn't get much of it. I don't think he's having as much. I know he's out for the season at the moment with injury, but um, he's probably someone who, you know, through his first and second year, hasn't gone to where a miss is at the moment, um, which is fine. He's, he's still a very young, tall player, but for a miss to take the range is basically key forward because Matt Tavener, I don't know what's going on there. Like, he just doesn't seem mm, to be able to get his... Strange. Yeah, I, I'm a really big fan of Matt Tavener when he's on, but just doesn't seem to be able to get his body straight, which is a real shame. But, um, and you know, obviously hoping he can bring his best footy back because it's quite important to Frio. And now that we, we know what a miss can do, having both of them in their forward line, um, it takes a lot of distraction away from Tabner, um, which is certainly a good thing for Frio. So I've been really impressed with a miss, as you said, hasn't been blazing away on the stat sheet, but that's not to say that he hasn't been having a big impact because the role he's taken up, again, like Owen's, not an easy one to just start clunking and kicking goals and doing the right thing by the team, but he's proven himself sharp, 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 shooter as well, um, which is always nice to see. So um, I think Frio, yeah, they give it a good run and they've probably got a miss to thank for some of it. Yeah, completely agree. I think they got so many players like that who might not fill up the stat sheet, but they're making maximum impact. And one player I love is um, Bailey Banfield. I always speak about him. Yes. He yeah. is honestly one of my favorite players in the competition. The amount of games last year he came off the bench and scored, I think there wasn't a single game where he came off the bench and didn't score. So He's, uh, he's one of those players as well, and I think they've got a lot lot of things to look forward to in the coming years as well, even with or without Matt Tapanar. So yeah. anyway, so just wrapping up the podcast now with uh, a little guest predictions um, segment that we're going to do for the rest of the year uh, with each guest that we've got coming on. We've, we've got some fantastic people coming on, uh, such as Premiership Captains, um, sort of 200, 300 game players, and, and so some of the biggest names in, in AFL. And, uh, also some great names in the sample as well. But um, starting with you, first and foremost, mate, I think it's all downhill from here. Um, what are going to be your prediction for the, the rest of the year? So we'll start off with Brownlow. Who's winning the Brownlow? A great question. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to burn you earlier when I had you guess the Brownlow. Um, no, that's all right. Go, I'll go, um, I, th- I think Dacos. Just it's gone long enough where um, he hasn't had as much attention as what we thought he would. And I think... He's probably winning by a few votes now. Um, yeah, it's probably uh, probably a safe bet, but I think and boring, but I, I think day costs. Yep, hundred percent. Sometimes you got to play it safe if you want to get it right. And who's winning the premiership? Uh, same vein, Collingwood. Yeah, pains wow, me. Wow, really? You take them over Port? Yeah, I am. I, I love Craig McRae and what he's doing at um, Collingwood. Like it takes a lot for me to get on side with Collingwood, but I. Uh, you know, they're up there with one of my favourite teams the last couple of years. Uh, I'm big on them. Uh, a lot of good players. And, yeah, they just seem to be able to get it done week in, week out. 
Yeah, they're absolutely must-watch footy at the moment. I've absolutely loved watching them play this year and last year, which I'm sure a lot of people have as well. And we were talking about your rolling All-Australian before. Uh, who's one player that you do think is going to make All-Australian come the end of the year that might be a bit of a surprise? I think for a lot of people who watch football, I'm not going to say closely, but I think it's probably not a name that pops up to mind straight away, um, but I think it's probably one you think, oh, yeah, wow, he actually has had a really good season. Errol Gould. Jed McEntee? Oh, okay. Jed McEntee, yeah. <laughs> nah, nah, um, he, I think Errol Gould. It's probably Errol Gould. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's several guys you could pick from. I think, look, the, the All-Australian team doesn't have – one thing I will flag here, the All-Australian selectors have a shocking track record of picking blocks where they should be picked. My biggest yep. – uh, it's my biggest hate when it comes to any selections of any AFL, anything AFL accredited. Um, but I think if they're picking any winger, it's going to be Josh Dacos and Errol Goulden, um, in my yep. opinion. Um, Agreed. They might find him on a half-forward flank because I also think Nick Martin's had a really good year. He was in my rolling All-Australian team, but I, I would say I probably have tighter regulations and uh, criteria to sort of make that team when it comes to playing for half-forward winger. But Errol Goulden, I'm going to say him. Yeah, I think Errol Golden's been unbelievable this season for somewhat a struggling struggling Sydney team. He's really been a, a dime in the rough there. Him going inside forward 50, there is not many players that I'd rather have ball in hand great, uh, kicking he? inside forward 50 than him. He is amazing. And I don't think a lot of people saw him sort of taking this leap this year. Uh, obviously, some people took him as their keeper in their fantasy draft. <laughs> at the start of the year, um, oh, and we're like, don't say that. The same people oh. were actually abused for it at oh, uh, the start of this year, but um, I did know it was coming, but not oh. not a lot of people saw it coming. But uh, yeah, all Australian, thing. I think. Sorry, sorry, you go. Yeah, we're not in a fancy thing together, but um, it, I did pick him. So uh, anyway, on to the next one. Uh, the final one here is something that we always like to highlight on wing it. And it's something that goes under the radar. It's it's something that win championships, they say, is defense. So I don't understand why this isn't an award in the AFL, but who is your wing at Defensive Player of the Year? There's three names I could pick from. Um three. did you want did you want my just one? Uh give me give me three. Okay. I'll give and you then give me your, your number one. Out yeah. of the three. Yeah. I think Callum Wilkie from St. Kilda and Charlie Ballard from Gold Coast. They're the two honorable Agreed. mentions. No, I'm a big man for honorable mentions. Matt likes to try and please everyone before I pick my team. But um, yeah, no, I'd give those two. I mean, I think their stats and the way that they've carried themselves this year speak for themselves, especially Wilkie as captain and especially Ballard as someone who has taken up a really big key role. And his intercept game is just sensational. Um, it's crazy Unreal. to see his development. So I'm really happy for Charlie and Callum. But um, I think Darcy Moore takes my cake this year. I think there's a reason why Collingwood is so successful and he's a massive part of that. I know it probably doesn't come into your criteria, but I think his captaincy is just like outstanding. And some of that just comes down to him directing players from behind the ball, which I think is, you know, is probably something you would take into consideration for you know how good a defense, uh, how good defensively a player is, and he meets that criteria. But his intercept game, his lockdown game, his kicking's good. Um, Darcy Moore again, like Nick Dacos, a safe bet for something like this. But I'm very much for giving guys uh, accolades for when they deserve it, and I, I just think Darcy Moore's probably the guy that deserves it the most. That deserves it the most um, in the league. So yeah, he's my pick. Hundred. 100%. And I think Darcy Moore having the season he's having at the moment, I think he's well on track to be the All-Australian captain, uh, how it looks at the moment. So 
fantastic pick there, wing it defensive player of the year. And uh, hopefully, come the end of the season, your predictions are correct. But we'll see how we go. Yeah. But no, anyway, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Will. Really right. appreciate it, mate. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic podcast. It was great having a chat with you. And uh, everyone out there listening, if you're still listening, thank you very much. Uh, and make sure you're following Featuring Forks on Instagram at Featuring Forks, uh, spelled F E A T U R I N G F A U L K S. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, no, that didn't read on it for nothing then. <laughs> and uh, also the Featuring Pod as well. Um, so obviously, as uh, Will just hinted to there, there's going to be some really exciting guests coming up. Uh, so making sure you're tuning into that in the coming weeks. So. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Uh, make sure you follow the podcast on Instagram at Winger Podcast. Follow us on uh, TikTok at Winger Podcast. And also have a listen to us on all the streaming platforms that you're probably listening on to now, uh, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or Winger Podcasts on there as well. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. I think you conduct yourself very well. You're a, a good person to chat uh, and chew the fat with. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, um, very much appreciate it and very fun. Thank you very much. Good night.